You are listening to the Think Brick Australia podcast. Think Brick Australia represents the clay, brick and paver manufacturers of Australia. Brick by Brick, our podcast will discuss technical information and architectural case studies with special guests. I'm your host, Elizabeth McIntyre, the CEO of Think Brick Australia. On today's podcast, it's my absolute delight and I'm really looking forward to delving into not only bricks, a little bit of roof tiles, but also some beautiful history of an extremely well-known Brisbane architecture firm. Please welcome to the podcast, Mark Trotter from Fulton Trotter Architects. Hi. You've sort of got a very interesting past and probably out of all the architects that I've interviewed, you've got this very, very strong lineage about architecture in your family. Could you just start by giving us a little bit of an idea of what your childhood was like growing up? Okay. Well, my father is the trotter in Fulton Trotter. Uh, my brother and I are both directors here and would probably like it to be us, but in actual fact, it's my father, Steve. And um, yeah, we grew up in an architectural family, four boys and a girl, and two of us turned out to be architects. But I don't think that was automatic, but we no. did. But as most children of architects know, every holiday requires a visit to a site somewhere. Um, and so there's always the side trip to somewhere, no matter where you are. And that was certainly the case with us, and it's certainly my children's experience of being a child of an architect as well. And what did some of those sites look like? Were they here? Yeah, well, the the one that we've quoted recently is the Chanel Theatre, which was under some danger of being demolished, mm-hmm. and I believe now is being retained. But while that was happening, I, I did recall that my brother and I were the first performers on the stage of the Chanel Theatre. It was only half built and the floor was only just going down on the stage itself. But Dad suggested that we get up and do a performance because we'd be the first ones on this stage, which has now existed for 50 years, so it's kind of nice. But other ones, we would visit, you know, Corumban Bird Sanctuary, I remember. Uh, We'd go up into the bush. Dad did work in Nanango and Kingaroy and places like that. And just generally, our work tends to be spread through Queensland, so whenever you go on a holiday somewhere, um, you know, Rockhamptons, (laughs) right through the west of Queensland. So that was it was quite nice, and it that's carried on. I mean, that relationship with the bush and with the regions has carried on. I think because of that, probably that um, inculcation since birth. <laughs> so, when did you know? I mean, you said it wasn't automatic, but when did you realise through senior school, or when did you make the decision? Late, really, really late. Like I think maybe six months before finishing school or something. I I really didn't know. I I loved building model aircraft. Okay. And I had visions of being an aeronautical engineer. And I don't know when that disappeared, but it got replaced by architecture. And I think in the end I put down on with six preferences, I put the top three were architecture, the three courses that were then available, chemistry, and then two blanks. Okay. (laughs) So I think I I think I knew what I wanted to do, but but it was relatively late. Yeah, and when you went to university, where did you study? At QIT, now QUT. Yeah, now QUT. In the part-time course. It was a six-year part-time course and a three full three part-time that you could do, as did most of the people within our practice at the time. So we started. I started in the office that was immediately opposite us there with Blodgess at Bretnell in 1976 as a first year, as a 16-year-old, because I actually got through school early. Wow. And I worked there for three years, and then I got sucked into this practice. And I wonder 
for you, having such a familiarity with architecture as a profession, when you went to university, was it what you expected? Yeah, probably. I think because I'd seen Dad working on the drawing board at home, I remember Dad and uh, another former director, Frank Moss, coming over and doing competition bids on the weekends and stuff, and we'd see all of that sort of thing happening. So I saw a bit of that and, of course, saw Dad's work and saw his artwork and what have you. So when I went to uni, I mean, I, I didn't automatically just do brilliantly or something. It, it was still, you know, hard yards of mm. learning the ropes and learning creativity. I'd never done tech drawing at school. I did the art side. It seemed, yes. seemed in college I either had a tech drawing side coming in or an art side. And it was funny watching that because the tech people that came in from tech drawing would... You know, you get a three-hour design problem and they would spend, you know, half an hour designing it and then two and a half hours drawing it. And people from certainly my state of mind would spend two and a half hours designing it and then a half an hour drawing it. And so, you know, your drawings weren't that good, but hopefully the ideas were interesting. Mm. And I just wonder, with having that, I guess, reputation of what your father was doing, did you, how did that feel when you were studying? I was determined to never work for my father. Right. Absolutely determined. Okay. So I did not start with the practice. Okay. I started it, as it turns out, Graham Bly was a friend of the family. Yeah. Uh, and Dad and Graham were good friends. So I finished up probably not very accidentally working with Graham, which was an absolutely wonderful experience. And then uh, I think about three years in, I got offered a job down the Gold Coast by a guy that wasn't very much older than me. And that's when Dad stepped in and offered a spot here rather than me going off to the Gold Coast and... So then I reluctantly said yes. I don't know why, but I managed. Yeah. But then I then vowed and declared I still wouldn't stay. And oh. so when I finished in six years, I, yep. it's only a few of us finished in six mm-hmm. straight years, I then left. I married my wife, Helen, and she got a job as a school teacher in Gympie. So mm-hmm. I went to Gympie and then commuted down to the Sunshine Coast for a year. And then that was in the 1982 Fraser recession. Okay. The world ended architecturally in about the middle of 82. Just every client rang up within a week and stopped every job. And then, again, my older brother came and saw me and gave me the word that I was an idiot and I should go back and join the practice. And about a week later, Dad rang and said, we're opening an office in Tweed Heads. Would you like to be the associate opening that office? I was 23 years old. And uh, I said, oh, Dad, I'll, I'll need to think about that. He said, oh, the conditions are you can't go overseas for the year, overseas travel, which was a bit of a thing. Okay. So I said, I'll think about this. And I got off the phone and my wife said, ring you back and say yes. <laughs> and just so during, that's what happened. And then during that time when you were, during that six years, did you go overseas? Did you travel? No. Oh, yes, sorry, I did. With, yes. uh, with a friend of mine, Ivan McDonald, we went to Bali for five weeks. We were one of the early trips to go to Bali, which was very exotic at the wow, time. Yes. Yeah, for five weeks. And uh, that was a fabulous trip. You know, it was fairly impacting mm. seeing Balinese culture and lifestyle and what have you of, of what is a relatively poor country compared yes. to, to us. So that was an impact. But I didn't do the European trip, yeah. not until a few years later. With university, were there any architects that made an impression on you during that time? Yeah. Maybe it's me, but I think it's our era. You know, we, we just had a lot of Le Corbusier, Frank Lloyd Wright, Mies van der Rohe, Gropius, Bauhaus, modernism. We were sort of a tag, like the right end of modernism. And, uh, you know, at the time our office was doing brutalist things and all that stuff was happening. And then right at the end, postmodernism sort of got this airing when we were in about fifth year. And that was kind of confronting. And so all this stuff you just learned about, you know, 
decoration being the worst thing in the world and international style, suddenly you you had this. So that was it was kind of interesting time to come out and yes. then to actually start exploring those things yeah. post university. Yeah. But I also had terrific teachers at uni as well. I mean, in those days, by working five days a week in the office mm. and only having for the first three years half a day at QIT and then everything else is done at night, six yeah. till nine at night. Yeah. From an early time, you were really involved in building and you learnt a lot from the people around you in the office, etc. But at uni, there were people like John Mainwaring, uh, Ralph Bailey, John Dalton, Noel Robinson. You know, we, we had a great list of people, uh, Dan Kelly and Spence Jamison, yes. some great names in Queensland architecture. And I think it's um, the reason I ask it because I think there's just so much commonality around the influence that some of these people had on students and you know, yeah. and, and you see it in different states. It's an know? amazing community. The mm-hmm. architect, you know, you go you go along to a fellows dinner these days mm-hmm. and fellows lunch and all the, you know, you just know the people in this industry and the, especially the people who really engaged with the institute and mm-hmm. with the academies, etc. I don't know, there's just something that binds everybody together and it's a really nice thing. Yeah. So and that's why the profession is what it is. It's a great profession. It doesn't reward you as well as you'd like over the years, but it's a great profession to be in. So you're in Tweed Heads and yep. you've opened up the Fulton Trotter Tweed Heads branch. Yes. How long are you there for and, and what were you working on? Uh, well, I finished up the office. We opened in 82 and we actually finished up closing it in 2012. So it was open for 30 years yeah. under my leadership to start with. Although really, I mean, at the end of the day, I was an associate, so it was under my father's leadership, but I ran it. And in those days, Tweet Heads was two and a half hours from here, mm. as opposed to now being an hour. And there was phone calls. Mm. There was no, I think a fax machine came out the next year as the first bit of communication that was mm. different. So you really were very separate and had to get a yellow number plate because I'd never get work if I still had a black number plate yes. or a green number plate, might have been by then, and, and to reside in New South Wales. Mm-hmm. So I worked in and managed that office from 82. I became a director in 88 and then through to about the late 90s and then I moved to Brisbane the end of 98. And what were some of the things that you were working on? Well, we had, it was funny, when I, the, the reason for opening the office was the office had become really successful at designing a club in the Tweed Heads area, Twin Town Services Club. Yes. We'd just been engaged to do Tweed Heads Bowls Club. Uh, while we, early on we got involved in South Tweed Bowls Club and a number of those club buildings, which at the time were booming. Mm. And there was a bit of a risk that if architects had a presence in Tweed and we weren't there, that we might lose that work. So that's why we opened the office. So Mm -hmm. all of my initial work was in that sector. Mm -hmm. But quite quickly, my father gave me, we're going to open this office. You've got three years to make it work. Otherwise, we'll close it. So that was a bit of a challenge. However, what we managed to do was we started, I started winning some housing projects and building up some sort of network. So there's almost like two practices in one at times. By the time that club work fell over in the early 90s, we had developed a whole lot of housing work. So we sort of had this work that was the club work, which was sort of like a parent work. And then my work that I grew myself in amongst that was around housing and some small local government work and what have And then just as the club work drifted away, we took the plunge and we'd won a project in Quilpy of all places and then one in Kanamala. And so we opened a network of offices and drove out to Longreach and back every month and serviced every town along the way. Wow. And that came from the history of the practice being always involved in the West. But we'd had a little bit of a quieter time. And then because the work at Tweed Heads had fallen away a little bit, I got involved in that. And that really signalled 
the change that finished up drawing me back to Brisbane. Yeah. So you're back now in Brisbane and maybe we could just touch on, we were talking before the podcast around some of the master plans <coughs> that you've been involved in and maybe take us through because, I mean, a lot of them use brick, but maybe take us through. Yeah. So we had the work in Western Queensland happening, but then we were engaged to do out of the Long Tweed Heads connection in the uh, late 90s, we were engaged to do some work at Mount St. Patrick's College at Moolumbar. And uh, that was a very complicated site with an old church and an old convent that was a 100 years old timber convent, a brick church, and then a, a mishmash of other bits and pieces of buildings. And we were engaged to do a major project of redeveloping this college, and we did that. And that actually involved buildings that then mixed brickwork from the church, timber work, you know, the material language we used sort of tried to pull all, all of the bits and pieces of the puzzle together in, in a building format. And that worked really well. It was beautiful. It just had a good mix of materials and a good mix of forms and spatial interest and pedagogical things. The outcome of that was that a whole lot of people from Sydney came up to see it. The border was a border, so nobody from Queensland knew about it. And so uh, we then decided we'd try to pursue, given the success of that project, some projects in Sydney. We actually went down to Sydney to see if we could win some health work, which we'd been winning here. And uh, anyway, we won a whole lot of schools to master plan schools in the north of Sydney and the west of Sydney. And of course, Sydney has a rich heritage in using brickwork and masonry, what have you, as well. So that's sort of the materials of that tied in in due course. But we undertook master plans for about four or five significant Catholic schools. And then once we'd done that, once we'd established ourselves and were establishing some innovative practices in education design, that then flowed across the border and then suddenly we got a whole lot of work to do here in the school sector. So probably of note to uh, projects that I was talking about earlier were Ambrose Tracy College and Mount Maria College, Mm -hmm. both of which are, in the case of Ambrose Tracy College, the original brick building was done by Charles Fulton back in one of our founding directors just Mm -hmm. before the Second World War. Lovely brick building with just beautiful brick detailing Mm -hmm. and uses of multiple colours of brickwork within it. So that was really good. We had to actually, we'd already been exploring this brickwork pattern prior to this work, but it really came to the fore in these schools that your central building that was the the sort of starting building gave you that lead. Mm -hmm. So at Ambrose Tracy, their school went from a four to seven campus and when year seven moved to secondary college, then they went right through to 12. So we've rebuilt that or built a whole campus there, building upon the original Charlie Fulton building. Mm-hmm. That was, that's been fascinating. And then at Mount Maria College, there's an old Hennessy and Hennessy building at Mount Maria, which is, again, a brick building with some beautiful archwork and things in it. Mm-hmm. Originally a home for wayward girls. And it was a heritage-listed building, so we, again, reused that building as we did with the uh, Charlie Fulton building at Ambrose Tracy. And again, I think we're up to stage nine of developing that campus and all of the buildings have a combination of steel and brickwork tying back to the original brick structures that were there. But you also do quite a lot of, there's a lot of embellishments here. We've got some beautiful hear-me screens and I just wondered, outside of the context and the reference, why do you choose brick? Well, I think there's an earthiness of the material that is just 
nice to ground your buildings. I mean, some of the architecture you do has, you know, we, we, we love using roofs that have big overhangs and lots of shade and are sort of gentle. But I kind of like the way when we use brickwork, it's the thing that sort of drags the thing back to being on its site and grounds something. So mm. when you use sort of raw timbers or, or, or timbers, there's a, there's a pattern to that that's beautiful around its naturalness and the way it you respond to that. And I think equally brick has that same characteristic because it's a man-made, earthy, the materials really come from where you are. Mm-hmm. And the same goes with tiles, that, that tile roofs that we're using, which we'll talk about. Yes. Just have this earthiness about them. They're not metal. They're not, you know, they're mined in the sense of that intensive mining type mm-hmm. thing, not heavily processed to achieve the, the outcome. And they just last they're just timeless really when you think get down to it and that's one of the reasons that i'm really keen to explore more use of brickwork and more use of tiles in our work because it is timeless and i'm older now and i can see the value of timelessness and if i look back at the history of the practice i mean there are times you know the the practice went through the early charlie fulton work celebrated brickwork and there's brick and masonry hospitals right through western queensland some of the buildings that i was talking about visiting and then there's my father's early work. They used a lot of asbestos cement sheeting roofs and stuff. But then in the 60s, Dad certainly had a period of doing pyramidal tile roof buildings, which were just beautiful and had some sort of oriental influence. It feels a bit Japanese, but they also were very Queensland and they had a lovely feel about them. So I think there's so many possibilities in these traditional materials. So, Mark, you're the first person that's actually bought, we've got roof tiles, we've actually got the product that you bought to this podcast. And congratulations on winning the Robin Dodds Roof Tile Excellence Award. And I really feel it's really special because it obviously Robin Dodds had his reputation here in Queensland. Yeah. So it's, it's, wasn't yeah. the reason you won, but... <laughs> no, no, but, and, and I didn't know, I know of Robin Dodd's work. Yes. Um, but I, I didn't know of the tile component of that until until the award, actually. Yes. But, but now that I know that, I've looked and gone, oh, wow. So, so maybe talk to us a little bit about, again, this is a, another school, uh, San mm. Damiano College, mm. um, and it's a massive roof that's tiled. Yeah. And I think what we, as an industry, we see there's a lot of reasons why people don't design in these really big roofs or they're, or they're re-roofing a tiled roof. So maybe if you could just talk a bit about the design and, mm. and why tiles. Mm. Well, uh, for a start, our, our commission was to firstly to do a master plan for mm-hmm. a brand-new school in Yarrabilba, which is a brand-new suburb. It's a bit like Canberra just dropped into the landscape. And so it's a very modern, you know, roundabout big roads type place. And then there's a whole stack of new housing that is largely, because it's all built now, mm. it's all grey, white, black, slightly less than grey, and then grey. And then all the buildings are grey or white or black or another grey. And all of the streets are these sort of winding, you know, beautifully landscaped streets, but nevertheless Canberra-esque planning, I would, I would say. And so in designing the school, and yeah, Bilber is a new suburb with inexpensive housing and is a long way from Brisbane public transport. So it has some social issues and some difficulties of that cohort all being together in these relatively similar sort of architectural patterns. And there's a new secondary school just across the road that is in what I would say now is the sort of normal style of school architecture. Uh, skillion roofs at 15 degrees and steel roofs, colour bond, etc. Mm-hmm. And we were really looking to try to 
differentiate the school from that environment. We're trying to provide an oasis for young people to come to that has a different character to the state school, a different persona, and a persona that is very much about caring and love and the sense of place in this that is like a family and some of the thinking out of the church as we started. So the Pope's encyclical around environmentalism, okay. Laudato Si, and then there was also the desire of the client around uh, Franciscan values and things. So the, all of this kind of came together in designing a, a school that had its planning a little bit like old town Italian village planning, where the church was at the centre of the site, there was radial lines out from the church out mm-hmm. into the suburbs that you could see from the church deep into the suburbs down these side streets or you could see from the side streets deep into the side of the church. And then surrounding that church around a piazza are all of the major cultural buildings yes. and then a layer outside of that are all of the sort of utilitarian buildings of okay. science labs and manual art spaces and all those sorts of things. But it, but in the middle are you know the performing arts centre, the library, the food centre, and the administrative centre. And so the way that we planned it was that those central buildings and and the planning all related to this sort of European hillside town type thing. Uh, we wanted to use earthy materials and brick and tile as the products for that to contrast with the surrounding suburb and even within our own site as we get deeper into the site to have these buildings more and more special and feel more and more like they've always been there, mm-hmm. which is kind of ironic given the new suburb, but it was, but it's that whole emotion of, well, the church has always been there. Mm. And we were just, you know, in a way the expression is of what's always been. And so for its new development to have that feeling of longevity just on arrival mm. is a really powerful thing. And then we really strongly landscaped the project as well as that so that over time these tile roofs and brick buildings will sit in this very lush, mm. beautiful environment with the sites completely surrounded by fig trees. Mm. So there's some really nice things happening there. So the tiles are a really important part of that. And it was a case of terracotta tiles and not glazed terracotta tiles, but mostly raw tiles, so that you got that sort of earthiness through the work. And we did it that the the brickwork of the building, which it has some significant brick blades Mm -hmm. that create certain faces of the building that face into this piazza that I'm talking about, and then the roofs that have quite dynamic and large and I think vast, I think the word was used, tile roofs that then face outward to the street so that people looking into the campus can sort of get this this notion of what we're talking about. And in the long run, the church will sit above all of that uh, in terms of the sight lines so that it's the crescendo of the planning. And again, it would have a tile roof that would have that sense of timelessness about it. And then the tile blades, we were really keen for them. A couple of things. They needed to be really simple and, and heroic, I guess. Mm. And heroic, not just by being big, but by being really finely detailed. So we don't have any ridge tiles or barge tiles on the roof. The roof is just the tiles. And then there are metal cappings and things that flash it all in place. Mm -hmm. But it's just this very big blade of tiles. And then the tiles aren't allowed to sit heavily on the site, but rather that they float. So probably probably drawn out of our previous work in steel roofing and the like, but I still was very keen to get that feeling of a blade that was almost almost impossibly floating there. So you've got 
get all strutted with structural steel and what have you to hold it there. No barges, no ridge capping, and just one simple gutter. Mm-hmm. And then there's two of these roofs, and they sort of relate to another. In fact, they're related in such a way that the idea is you look between them to the future church. And then by way of using this mix of tiles, you know, we've, we've done work on some Spanish mission, old 1930s buildings in restoration works in Sydney and various places. And so we're aware of that sort of stippled kind of feeling of the tile patterns and how they gave tile roofs this otherness that just makes it more human. And so yes. the selection of the tiles, we used 50%. Because uh, it's a beautiful blend and that you have... Yeah, we used the um, Marseille pattern so that it wasn't a flat tile. It would be mm-hmm. tempting to just use a really flat tile to make it modern. Mm-hmm. But we used the Marseille pattern, not the really, really rounded one. I don't, can't remember the name of that. But we used a, a tile that does have some ups and downs in it. And then we used 50% of the Jaspi Rosia. 30% of rosia and 20% of burnt orange. And that mix of predominantly a sort of orangey tile, but one of them with this kind of splatters dark pattern over it and then one of the tiles being the darker tile you just get this really amazing pre-aged kind of feel about it and just when the tilers were tiling was that easy for them to follow and easy for them to blend yeah it was it was funny um the project went through 2020 so it was a covid baby so it had lots of drama in actually getting through our time and what have you but there was a fair bit of time spending around the perimeter of the tiling just to get that starting position right but the tiles I think went on in two days wow. it was super fast and there was no issue I don't know whether the tiler just was a genius or not but the mix of tiles didn't seem to be a problem at all they probably have used some sort of pattern because I notice when you come to the building you do so you can look up some funny diagonals and yeah. they're not funny they're not funny in a bad way they're kind no. of interesting when you get that tile pattern, the other thing I was going to mention was that the nice thing about tiles, again, bricks, is that you can hold them in your hand. They're a human-sized thing. But when you look at the tile and you see the patterns of the tiles, there's just some really interesting things that happen visually, which you never see in a drawing, you never see in a file, you never see in a photo. You've got to be there. I was actually going to ask you whether there was anything during this project that sort of surprised you, but would that be it, that just sort of the yeah. outcome? It's a beautiful roof. It just makes me really proud because, you know, in any other material, it would have had the same basic form. And I've done a lot of work in steel roofs that do that. Mm. But being tiles and having this patina and colour and a mix of a little bit of shiny and a little bit of rough, it's been there forever and yet it's there. Yeah, it's beautiful and I really want to do more of it, but Uh I've just got to figure out. There's other things we can do as well, but it's... It's good. Something I, I should mention, as part of the process of it, we have done a few tile roofs before, but one thing occurred to me in the lead-up to this, and that was that we went and had a look at 30 years of our work, or maybe 70 years. We did a tour with QUT through Western Queensland right. looking at our, I think we looked at 50 projects in five days, or and I saw 30 years of my work because I started that project in Kanamala that we are talking about yes. a while ago in the early 90s. So there's 30 years of work. What I, I mean, I'm very happy with the work. It's all being used and all loved, etc. But the one thing that I did, was disappointed was the steel roofs and that the colouring on those steel roofs is struggling. And they're only 30 years old. And when you're 30, you, don't, you think 30 years is a long time. When you're 60, you suddenly go, hey, I want them to last 100. 
Yeah. Or 200. And so the idea of these tile roofs at this school as the centerpiece, I know we can't afford to use tiles everywhere. Um, and I know we've, you know, there's certain challenges. But the use of them in the centre of the site and knowing that those tiles are going to only get better. Mm. They're only going to age gracefully. They're going to get little bits of moss on them. They're going to get this and that. But they'll just, in 100 years' time, they'll look fantastic. And I think so I didn't want to miss that because that's probably one of the biggest components in that I'm tile roofs mean that you you can't do as lower pitch there's certain limitations of that and there's certain scales of it which we probably tested with this project but I think that it's a material that has so many more possibilities you can you can actually curve it you can do there's a bunch of things you can do which we haven't done yet but we will do (laughs) you've done an amazing job articulating that and bringing the beauty to life I do want to talk about a few other projects that you have. I would love for you to share what we were discussing before. You obviously work very closely with QUT now as a professor, and maybe you could just tell our listeners a little bit about some of the things that you're working on. Right. Well, I think uh, this is a fairly late in career area, but we've become much more involved. We've always had an involvement with QUT School of Architecture because, in fact, the school is named after Charles Fulton, mm-hmm. our founder, who founded the course. But we've become a lot closer to QUT in recent years, largely through my brother's work in um, taking on more lecturing roles down there, and I followed him a little bit into doing that. But as well as that, we undertook a formal research of the history of our practice. So about 2016-17, uh, QUT did a formal study of the history of our practice and both architecturally and from a management perspective. That was really interesting and the outcome of that was that we got a full sort of third-party review of who we were for not only us to see but for the world to see, I guess, and to look at the history of our work from 1937 to now. Having done that and the outcome of that was that tour around Queensland where we went and actually reviewed this work, Mm -hmm. this body of 70 years work or 80 years work. But as a consequence of that, the QUT were present in our office for a number of months going through our files and going through our records of drawings and what have you. And and in amongst that, uh, we floated ideas about further research. And one of those ideas was a thing we now call grand schools, which is the combination of senior living and secondary education, the same buildings on the same sites with the same equipment and with the same people there trying to get collaboration more between those two generations and probably the middle generation between them, as well as making much better use of the land assets of schools Mm -hmm. and the equipment assets of schools, which are generally used from 9 till 3, 40 weeks a year. So we put forward an application to the National Health and Medical Research Council for about a million-dollar grant, including four PhDs on the subject, ranging from physiotherapy through to architecture, and a bunch of researchers out of um, QUT and Australian Catholic University, ACU, and now including Deakin and University of Western Sydney. And we were successful, amazingly successful. And this is, a, this is research for the National Health and Medical Research Council led by an architectural idea, and I really like that because yeah. that's not what normally happens. No. And that we're, we're going through that study now. It's been fascinating to be involved in research and to see how the research world works, mm-hmm. how academics think, and how practitioners like me can relate to academics and how we can find this middle ground, which can be very exciting. And so we're now a couple of years into it, and we've already got a number of clients looking at doing pilot projects for grand schools where we would actually combine secondary schooling, buildings and facilities 
with seniors in actively involved in those buildings with the young people which I think is just super exciting. Given recent TV shows, there's a genuine interest across the world in this subject. Um, There's big movements in the UK and the US around it. It's a very exciting area. In fact, it's a building type that doesn't exist at the moment. If you think of schools, you think of a certain sort of building. If you think of senior living buildings, you think of a certain sort of building. For our project to be successful, it can look like neither of those two things. And these products that we're talking about are part of that the outcome of that will be buildings that have an earthiness, solidness and comfort for both of those groups of people to collaborate in. That will be exciting. Mark, it's so exciting and I think it's so impactful about society and behaviour, what this is doing, and that as an architect you're also really the centre stage of the collaboration of this. It's an exciting, super exciting mm-hmm. thing to do because it is, it's an architectural idea in a, in a yes. way, but... In another way, it's not. It's where architecture and social change can meet. Absolutely. And that's super exciting. And I know that you're obviously with what you do with QUT and and lecturing. How have you seen the profession? I guess there's two parts to my next question. How have you seen things change over the years in the profession? And what sort of advice or commentary do you have on those architects that are nearing the end of their studies and about to go out? It's exciting time to, to come out. There's lots of exciting things to be done. Technology has given... We watch people in our own office designing buildings now in ways that we could never dream of when we were that age. There's a benefit in that and it's amazing in that you can design a building and on your screen fly around and do all sorts of things. But there's a danger in that too in the sense that I think that part of an architect's ability is to think about something and draw it in the minimum possible lines and know that it will turn out as an interesting piece of architecture. So that's a double-edged sword thing. But if our young architects think about keeping the ability to do both of those things, that's really valuable. It would be easy to be negative about things that are occurring in the profession in terms of our changing or what seems to be our changing role in involvement in contracts and the construction phase of projects Mm -hmm. and stuff with project management, etc. And that idea of architects not being only designers but also as the community's representative when dealing with the building industry is still a passion that I have. But it seems to be an area that the profession is struggling to maintain connection to, which I think could be a problem or is a problem, not necessarily just for architects, but for the community. Mm-hmm. So I could talk about that for an hour <laughs> as well because of its importance to me. But I think I wouldn't dwell on that in the sense that the passion for design and the potentials for design and new challenges around sustainability and human interactions Mm -hmm. and politics and all sorts of stuff that's happening now means that architecture is always rich with possibilities Mm -hmm. and rich with opportunities for young people to grab hold of an issue architecturally or grab hold of an issue, not even necessarily architecturally, as we've talked about with the grand schools idea, the social change idea as well, but to take hold of that and to run with it. I think to succeed in architecture, you have to have a genuine passion about it and about a piece of it. Mm-hmm. And when you have that passion and let that come through your work, then you'll do good things, you'll be interesting You'll win work, which is half the battle, and you'll be fine. But have the passion. 
Thank you, Mark. I really feel privileged that you've given up your time this morning and I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and I know our listeners will enjoy it too. We do have a wrapping round question. <clears throat> okay. And all answers are acceptable. Reading the news, a newspaper or online? Oh, online. Handwriting or typing? Handwriting. In fact, not writing, lettering. For sketching ideas and concepts, would you use a pencil, pen or an e-pen? A 6B pencil and butter paper and nothing else will get in my way. <laughs> Do you like to read books or listen to audiobooks? Probably read books. What's important to you, style or substance? Substance. Coffee or tea? Both. TV shows or movies? Movies. Antique or modern? Both. Call or text? Text, and it shouldn't be. <laughs> Travel back in time or into the future? Future. Exterior or interior? Both. Video games or board games? Board games. Form or function? Function. Complex or simple with relation to design? Both, but not together. <laughs> Mark, firstly, congratulations on your win for the Robin Dodds. Rooftile Excellence Award. Thank you. And also thank you for illuminating and embellishing what you can do with bricks and roof tiles in such a beautiful way through your design. Thank you. I look forward to keeping on experimenting with it. It should be fun. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please follow, rate and review our podcast. We are always looking for new ways to think brick. If you have an idea of what you'd like to hear about, there's a link in our show notes to let us know.